Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here with us today. Season two is afoot and we are starting another journey into human nature. This time we're looking at the role passages play in the lives of my guests, the initiations, the transformations, the accidental, the intentful. Hold tight and listen in because we are about to journey into another incredible and beautiful series of conversations. Let's get into it. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaj, your host. I'm really excited to welcome Randy Fortes today to the show. Randy, welcome. Thank you. You bet. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, again, Randy and I know each other. We are collaborating in a mentoring project called Stepping Stones Project. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to get to know you, Randy. And I'm really excited you're on the show for a number of reasons. I'll try to hit them throughout the show. With your background as a social-emotional facilitator, with your creativity from, from music and art, to your Freedom Flow radio show, that internet radio show you have on KCBZ Radio. I've gotten to have many, many conversations with you over the past 10, 11 months. And right away when we first met to begin this project with this group of kids, I immediately resonated with your, your people knowledge, the way you had a, a quick and perceptive get of the people that were around you in situations. So I've really seen that unfold in so many ways over the past 10 months. And so I'm excited to talk with you about passages. I'm excited to talk with you about your passages, passages, the spaces that you hold for other people. Tell me a little bit about how you came to Stepping Stones and your, your background work of working as a social emotional facilitator. First off, I just feel it's, it's fair to share this new ring I have. It's a man in a maze. If you look, there's a man or a person and they're going through their maze and it's the path. That's a symbol uh, that's woven into a lot of the baskets of the tribe that I'm from, which is uh, Toodam. And I'm learning that's more of my blood. So uh, to speak on that, I want to give praise to that first, because I feel looking at it from that perspective just helps me to see like I am in my path. We're all in our paths. And my work began, I, I believe I started working with children like right after high school, right after I graduated high school. And I felt like there's so much I needed to learn as a human about childhood just due to uh, my own childhood and the things that I had endured and uh, maybe had not learned. And I picked up ways of how to play better and how to be with people. And, you know, my, my work as a social emotional uh, facilitator, I feel started there. Like that wasn't like the role that I had. It was more just like supervising children on the playground. But, you know, there was a way that because I was so childlike, you know, I was a, I was a B-boy at the time. And what that means, I was a break dancer. And I feel like that's part, once again, of the art of just uh, for me, it's like for children, it's all about free expression. Remember all about expression, but with children, it's free. I mean, that's part of the innocence in which they they hold which we all hold in that way, but especially uh, gifted as a child. And I was just able to see that within the children and highlight that, right? I see that this child is really loves this. So how do I amplify that? You know, they love to play tetherball in this way, but they're having trouble, uh, you know, working out the rules and stuff. How do I better uh, communicate what that game's going to be like? So it's easier for them, the child and everyone playing, you know, and just becoming the bridge and the voice. I feel like a lot of my, my work and, um, 
being the children is help to communicate. And what a big thing I learned is that everything speaks, everything. So it's even the nonverbals. Uh, after working with children in elementary school, I started teaching preschool. And uh, the students I was working with were like one and a half to two and a half years old. And some of them were learning how to speak. So it's just perfect to be able to remember that, you know, this child is saying so much with their frustration and uh, just looking behind what happened before they got frustrated, you know. And then I believe after that, I, I actually started teaching a breakdancing class, which is really awesome because it was just my friends and I. Uh, that's a cool story because a friend that I was breakdancing with and just was really f great friends with, and we used to study martial arts together. We noticed that this, this younger boy we were playing basketball with, he scored a point and then he started doing some footwork, like breakdancing. We're like, oh, wow. He's, you know, we're like, whoa, that's kind of like, it sparked something in us. And we're like, hey, you want to have a session with us? And then it just started with him and I and that, and that younger boy. And then it just started to amplify. And then every Tuesday, we used to go to the park across the street from my house and we just started breakdancing and he got better at it. And, you know, because it was, what was interesting is that this is a point where we saw him playing basketball. He's really good. We saw him dancing. And then we also saw him hanging with some other, you know, some other boys that weren't doing the, that weren't making the wisest decisions. And to create that, that space for him to dance, you know, he started inviting some of those boys and then they started wanting to learn how to dance. And it's like, once again, we all just want to express ourselves. We always want to be free, especially with children. If they don't have the guidance and the proper passages to put these energy into, it's going to lead them to maybe, you know, some things that are going to be really hard for them to learn and some difficult things, you know, amidst the hardship in their life already. So you yeah. kind of had this organic B-boy class. Yeah. And what's, what's beautiful is that stemmed into, they created this community center in Livermore, brand new community center. I was asked to teach a class there. So I'm going from cardboard and a boom box and like the concrete and just this, you know, just a park to the spring loaded hardwood floors to this mirrors. And they had a TV that had camera on us. And it's just like, whoa, you know, and it just, <laughs> and it just did, it started. And, and, you know, even through that, you know, it, it wasn't just a B-boy dance class. It was actually, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. I was teaching culture, you know, hip hop culture is what brings people together. Say more about that. What do you mean when you say you were teaching culture? I love that, that you asked that. Well, uh, hip hop is made of elements. All the cultures have elements, right? That hold them together. And with hip hop, the four pillars and elements of hip hop are the DJing, the MCing, the graffiti writing, and the dance. And the fifth element would be the knowledge, the knowledge mm -hmm. of all of it and how it sustains itself. Um, so it started off with the DJing and there's this really awesome YouTube video where Grandmaster Flash talks about how he created um, a whole new style of playing music and DJing, right? Like how he had to create a slip mat so the music, uh, the record wouldn't skip. Then the MC was born because the DJ had to babysit the record. They had to sit there and make sure that the record's going to play, to have the next record ready. The MC was basically hyping up the party. And then when the dance, uh, the dances came from, it came from the breaks. Like, you know, they would take that break of the song and then just loop it and, and uh, what's called juggling. It was just like the, just want to get down on the floor and dance. So it was a whole new dance created. And then the graffiti writing was more just like the art form of, of what that looked like. If you couldn't afford an easel or all the paints that were really expensive, all the acrylic paints, but you had the art skills or this, these pictures in your head, you know, they created it with spray paint. Those are all beautiful. It's great to hear that. And the, the thing that I hear as I listen to you is a kind of teaching of relationship, right? Awakening these young people to the relationship of, in this case, the hip hop culture. Really, really beautiful. So you get into this community center and then how long did you 
that project go for? And then what came after that? So eight years. I taught at this community center for eight years. It was uh, one class per season. It was about six Saturdays. And um, what was beautiful is that, well, two things really came out of that. By teaching the culture, I was also doing music at the time, producing music. It was, I was an MC. I was writing, writing rhymes. Is that in part of teaching the culture, I was fully aware that something drove these students to my class, some sort of energy. They saw it in a brochure. They saw dancing on the commercial in this form or, you know, America's best dance crew was really hot at that time. So something brought them to my class, but it very well might not be the dance that they wind up with, you know? So I would talk about emceeing. I would show them some of my verses and I actually had some students that after the class, they wanted to learn how to produce music. Um, another beautiful thing was that I started towards the end of this class, I started hosting b-boy battles with a friend of mine and we created as one movement. And I say we did about seven to 10 battles here in Livermore, but it drew a lot of different b-boys from all the Bay Area because they just started hearing about our battles and they were, I was hosting them. So at one of our uh, classes, actually the last class, we always had a battle between the class. You know, we split the class in half and they go battle each other. At this particular class in time, I was able to bring my class to the battle and uh, get permission from the parents. And we performed our routine for everyone at the battle. And it was just awesome because, um, you know, oftentimes it's just the parents watching. This time it was about 500 people watching. Wow. Um, it was awesome. That could be seen on YouTube under RLCC performance. Okay, so. great, great. I'll put that in the show notes. So eight years in this, and my sense is, as I hear you talk about it, it's not just the outward classes and opportunity and situations, but inside you, there's some kind of vision developing and some sense of mm. what you're about and what's becoming in your life and what this work means, maybe personally or socially. Yeah, I, I've, for me, I, I like, I feel like this class really taught me that all of these things that I'm perfecting and, and that I've learned through life were just really the bridge to connect with people. Right. And there's no, and, and, you know, I would have conversations with oftentimes the parents, you know, they grew up like when hip hop was born, like listening to run DMC. Right. So they have that old, old school era of it. And now they're too, they want their child to kind of get that part of it through me. And I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. So I'm the kind of the bridge of the generations Right. Cause it's so much different now when you listen to the music that's called rap, you know, it's like, it's hard to find a hip hop element in it, but I was teaching culture at that time. So um, what it also taught me is that the culture is timeless. The culture is timeless. The, the, you know, there's so much that's invested into the creation of these things that from what I'm hearing, um, breakdancing is now in the Olympics, you know? So it's like, it, it's ever growing, it's ever expanding. And also, you know, I feel like um, for my next step in life, which was Challenge Day, like I brought it with me as well. The music, the breakdancing, because everywhere I traveled to, because now I'm part of this organization where I'm doing these, just these huge transformational workshops, like all day with students, high school and middle school students. And, you know, there's many moments where there's a break or there's many dancers that I'm running into, many musicians I'm running into. And it's just the universal language that's going to um, translate everywhere I go. So I definitely brought that with me. And it was a huge thing. Like, I remember, you know, there, if there was a student who could rap at that school, 
and like I found that out, I would have to put on a beat and have to rap with him. And, and when I'm going with him, and before you know it, oh, the whole school or, or the whole workshop, which would be like a hundred students are just surrounding us. And now we're part of a new thing that's happening in the workshop that wasn't planned, but it was almost like it was destined to be. So kind of spontaneous culture. What are the, what are the fires? What are the language that can pull people together in that moment? Yes. Yes. And because it's always like, it's, you know, hip hop is hip. That's what I call it. Hip hop. It's hip. Mm -hmm. It's cool. So it's like part of the trend, you know, and uh, students want to be like that in a sense. They want to, they want to be cool. They want to be, you know, fitting in, in what's, what's hip, you know? So for people who don't know what challenge day is, what is challenge day? A challenge day is an, uh, it's not, it's a nonprofit organization that does transformational workshops with high schools and middle schools um, all around the world. Uh, I can say now because I also traveled to Amsterdam and filmed a few episodes of, of a show out there. And uh, basically, we have like 100 students and 25 adults, and we uh, go, we play games with them. I, I feel like the best way to explain it is we explore the 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 dynamics of life. Like there's like huge games that we play, and and I've and I say this because I've noticed that the harder the group will play, the deeper they're willing to go sometimes on the other end. So that it really is looking at the, the, the playful seriousness spectrum. And then when we get serious, we start to talk about um, just our culture, specifically more like America culture and how, you know, the, you know, how there's so many double messages for females as they're growing up, you know, to be one way, but then to, to not be another way. Or if you be one way, you turn into this and there's names that you get called. And also men's oppression, you know, as young men, how, how they're kind of kind of conditioned to be a certain way, like to be tough. You know, the, the be a man box is kind of what we call it. And all of this to sum up of how uh, so much of this clouds who we really are inside, because there's so many messages that are maybe countering what we feel that we kind of suppress more of how we feel. And then we use the analogy of an iceberg on kind of how we normally see just 10% of somebody, but there's like 90% of who we are underneath. And we start calling to what are some of the things that people are hiding? So you're like in a gymnasium, you get a big group of middle school or high school students or something like this. Right. And then you yeah. just start peeling back the cultural messages and the conditioning and letting these young people, this 90% underneath start to surface a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and the play really is developing the trust. Because mm -hmm. right? if you're, what I've noticed is that, you know, there's, I talked about it on my show recently, the laughing and crying thing, right? Like you, when you start to laugh with someone, you're letting go and you start to really belly laugh with that person. And also when you cry with someone, you're really letting go, you know, and these are places that, you know, you normally wouldn't do that unless you trust the person. So you kind of have to go through, you know, that, that, uh, I guess that level with that person, like, okay, I laughed with you. You know, we had fun together. We let That's go right. together. So can we let go in this way too? Mm -hmm. And, um, and you start, when you start to peel back the layers, I feel like what the realization is like, wow, like I, I've seen so often students start to just look around and see like, wow, we, we all feel this way. I'm not the only one. There's this kind of universal, uh, I guess, feeling and vibe around like, wow, like I'm not the only one who feels, I guess, suppressed in this way. And then we start to, the, the invitation is, you know, if you really knew me, we develop, we create small groups of five or six before we even have this conversation. And then when we break off back into the um, groups, there's an adult in like maybe five or four or five students who get each a chance to just share and to open up, you know, to, to whatever level they, they would like to, you know, what's beautiful about it is there's no wrong way to do it. 
there's no right way to do it. It's just their way to do it, you know, and it, and it just gets honored. So it's, so it's really beautiful. It is beautiful. I did participate in a challenge day as a parent a couple of years ago, and it was impactful, very profound in, in, in many levels. So you did that for a lot of years and you, you had a lot of student contact where you took them through this day, this passage into <laughs> that deeper <laughs> group social awareness. Like we're going to admit all this stuff right now and we're going to own this stuff and we're going to acknowledge it. And we're going to be present to it. So how many days do you think you did this and how many young people's lives did you get to touch or, or just witness? Mm-hmm. How many days? That's, that's a lot. That's a huge question. Uh, I would guesstimate the challenges I've done. It's, it feels like over a thousand for eight years, you know, we had one day in Seattle where we made an exception where we had 250 people in the room at once. And, you know, they all, they all weren't just a hundred. Some of them were a little over, most of them were a little over. Um, But yeah, as far as students, I, um, I cannot even put a number on it. Right. So, I mean, you're, to me, it sounds like a hundred thousand contact points, right? Not a lot of one-to-one of course, but just a lot of holding space for, journey after journey after journey. And so, because I already know this about you from our relationship, I want to invite what your wisdom is out of that, what you learned from witnessing these young people. What's some of the wisdom you've gained about young people, about our society, about humans in general? You know, there was one question I feel that threaded through all those eight years, and that is a parent who was volunteering, whose student wasn't in that program. Right, who didn't, who doesn't know anything about it. And they asked me, how do I connect with my child? And my emphasis was always on the relationship, right? It appeared to me that oftentimes they were coming from a place of not having that connection with their child. Like I just feel disconnected. My emphasis would be on, it sounds to me like this means a lot to you to want to connect with your child. And then I would ask them, do they know how much you want to connect with them? And what if they could feel that? What if they could feel what I'm feeling right now? How would that change how you're just even connected with them? Because all of what they want, it resides on this bridge that's not yet created. That's the emphasis of if you really knew me, you would really know how much this really means to me. And that was the part that was missing. And I I would see something in them be like, start nodding their head like, yeah, that's not even established yet. We haven't even come to that agreement yet. I don't even know where they're at in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start there first. It's all, it's all, you know, it's, it's about the relationship. So if there's any wisdom I want to share from all of that, it's, it's, it's from the core of, of that right there. Right there. Right? You, you want, well yeah, said. Right, right there. You want, you got to have a bridge. And then the pains that are shared in that, in the room during the day, have a lot to do with the lack of that relationship, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything that's coming out that's on the pain side. So yeah, that's really beautifully said, Randy. I love that. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. Any, any other wisdom? I'm trying to think of some other pieces <laughs> well, of wisdom. Well, we could just yeah. let it flow, right? We're free mm-hmm. to let it flow, aren't we? Freedom flow. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, another piece of wisdom I, I would offer someone is... Wow, you know, there was there was something, there was this, hmm, there was this energy I would walk around the room with where oftentimes people don't know how to be held 
because they are struggling to hold themselves. So, so many times would I just stand before someone crying by themselves and I would just kind of open my arms and they'd see me and I kind of look down and it was the fact that I would just stand there and, and I'm almost like, um, I feel like I was emotionless because I was just wanting to be um, a, like a blank space for them to land in, but I'm standing firm but I'm not holding any emotion because I'm just opening for your emotion. And for me, I feel like that was just the invitation and that all people need is permission and the invitation. So I was giving them full permission to let go of trying to hold all this by themselves and inviting them to be held. And I don't think I've ever gotten turned down <laughs> because I'm a very patient person. Come on. And pretty soon I'll start to smile like, mm. uh-huh. eventually they would come um, from the, from men who were twice my size to, you know, um, to people who have special needs. That's a universal thing that we can send to each other is the invitation and permission. That's beautiful. And it gets close. I hinted at this at the outset of the show, but one of your magic superpowers is you are a champion of the forgotten. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard it said that way. Mm. What brings me to tears when I hear you say that is because what that means is I had to first remember myself. And that was a hard journey. So thank you for naming that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that you've covered some ground in in that remembering yourself. Yeah. I guess I'm curious as um, champion of the forgotten. I'm curious as where you were going to go with that. It's one of my big takeaways. And I would say that when we've been together working with the youth we work with and we're, you know, we're dancing in, in and out of conversations and circle that you continually presence what could easily be overlooked, what could easily be forgotten from a kid who isn't, here or the way they might feel because they missed it or um, some other part of our experience that is really relevant, much like what you said in terms of the, the permission for invitation. And I think, you know, as I listen to you wax on about those beautiful stories of challenge day moments is it's really pretty simple. It's this most simple human needs that are being forgotten and people are carrying on in life. And you have this magic ability to pull that into presence. Simply there um, was where I was headed with it. Yeah, and I'm just so honored because I feel like that's been a hat I've been wearing for so long. And now it has a, now I can label it. The champion of the forgotten crown. Holy. <laughs> yeah. Holy. Need a shirt, hat. <laughs> <laughs> a whole like line of reminder gear, so. right? <laughs> 
I do think now that we're here, I, I do want to invite your passages here, the mazes that you're going through in your path. And so if there is a, a, a piece that's connected to that with the challenge day experience, it's, you're most welcome to share it. Yeah. Um, and it ties right into remembering myself. I feel like even to become a challenge day leader, which was the role, um, the training was extensive, especially for me. And I feel like to sum it up, I really had to get out of my own way. We have so much power and there's some people who cannot be stopped, but who definitely can be their own wall in that way. Like that's the, that's probably sometimes they're so powerful that the only way they can be stopped is by themselves and they're really hindering themselves. And for me, I feel it was my doubt. I feel it was a lot of guilt, a lot of, so many feelings that were unresolved in my life at the time. And I came to this point where I feel like I was be, I was in the training, I was in the training and then boom, I hit a wall and I just was, I just was facing depression and I just couldn't find where the out was in this. And I just sat with it for a while. And then I, I just quieted myself and then I just started writing. And I feel there's so much power in externalization. I feel like it's kind of hard to reflect without a mirror, mm -hmm. right? You almost need that, that, that's something out there to, to look at from yourself of where you're at to be able to see a contrast. And I wrote this poem called Releasing Demons. And it goes like this. I thought I had it on lock until I lost the key. Only seeing a fight to get these demons off of me. And though I've released it, I'm still never at peace with myself, concerned for everybody else when I really need the help. You see, I keep it to myself to cheat myself, beat and defeat myself, developing a lack of trust. And ever since disaster struck, these demons have been after us, hiding in the baggage that we attach to us. So with the past quickly catching up, I hope I'm fast enough to escape my own fate and let it pass me up. Well, I grab the cup and see that it's my fault that it's half empty. And then I fall victim to creating another sad ending, getting away with pretending to get away. And then live the day with that bitter taste written all over my face. So get in my way and you might get scalded because I can't seem to control it, let alone try to hold it together. I've owned it forever, but never claimed it. I was in way over my head, but I was too ashamed to quit. You see, I blame it on everything I've ignored and how I can't afford to get sidetracked. But I keep ending up at the same place that I arrived at. So I climb back into that hole I once called a soul where that chip on my shoulder becomes a boulder too heavy for me to hold. But there I go again. Always trying to hold. And all that's ever done is hold me back. So what if I let go? And what do I need to let go of? Maybe that's why I always come to that stop, never having the key, but trying to keep it on lock. Is it all just talk? Because I'd rather be dreaming. Or maybe this is how I make peace with myself by releasing these demons. And after reading that aloud to myself and to a few other folks, I realized that I have the key. I am the door. I feel like that's how I developed my superpower as being the key master, 
Because any place I need to get into, I will find the key or I will devise a key because um, you can't devise a lock without a key. Nice. I love that. That's great. That's great. Oh, it's so, um, so transcendent of limitations to own. I will make a key. You know, that's a very empowered point of view or, or place in consciousness. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that. All right. So you, you let go of the demons, but you also have to remember something. And so is what you remember your capacity to make keys to unlock things or are there other and are there other pieces of yourself that you needed to remember? Hmm. Uh, I feel like I also had to remember that oftentimes the wall is an illusion. Mm -hmm. Right. Oftentimes the wall is maybe something that I had constructed to protect myself at one time, but now that, that the danger isn't present, the wall doesn't need to be present either. You know, I feel we, we oftentimes just do that in our lives, you know, just uh, as defense mechanisms of, of why someone would be introvert towards something. And so introvert and, you know, extrovert, you know, in their lives, you know, like these, these edges, I have to remind myself that at the edge that there's choices rather than just, um, you know, uh, feeling the fear and responding to or reacting from that. Right. There's a difference between responding and reacting. So I had to get out of reaction mode, start to be with what is present so I can better respond to it. If I'm being with it, then that, that means I'm being with everything, which is also my, my toolkit which is kind of infinite in that sense, which is all my wisdom, which is everything, right? So I feel like when we get into that fear mode, it kind of just shuts us off from all the good stuff that, that we might need to, to, to move on. And, you know, what's interesting is that I feel like poetry has become a ritual for me. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of documenting my life and, and these, these monumental moments with poems, because I can go back at all my poems like, wow, that I wrote that when that happened. I wrote that when that happened. And I feel like releasing demons was the, like, the one that was like, yes, this is what you're doing, Randy. It was affirming me, uh, affirmation to me. Like, this is the tool. This is why you do it. And this is how it works. Oh, cool. Let's continue to do that. How can I, get, how can I use this for other people? <laughs> now it's like, like it's, this is gold for me. It must have value to others. What I hear, Randy, and I, I love your poem, by the way, and the way you read it, and it's, it's, it was not just a superficial phil philosophy, but that deep self-understanding. And mm. what, I'm, what I'm learning from you and what I think I'm hearing is that letting go of the demon was to no longer deny you had the inherent toolkit you needed to handle the moment. Yes. I yes. think that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, that's part of the part of what the demon the demon wants your demise, mm -hmm. so the demon will blind your eyes, right, towards all these other things, and and that's what the, it wants to do. But like it's it was a matter of me remembering myself. It's yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. I love the agency too. I'm I'm really interested, and the listeners know this, and you might know to some degree. I'm really interested in stress and. We have this idea I've been working with for a while I call stress intelligence, which is like emotional intelligence, 
but it's different because it doesn't require emotions and it's more primitive. It's more primal in the perception. It's the thing that generates the walls that generates the feelings that, that has the defense mechanisms, but also, like you said, can make the lock and can make the key. So there's this, this dual side of stress intelligence where it's a highly intelligent system and we can or cannot be intelligent with our stress experiences. So I'm hearing this as a passage into a higher level of stress intelligence. Like you could handle the stresses of life and the narrative of which some was self-inflicted or maybe culturally assigned, you know, mm. onto you in terms of your story about who you could be, where you were emotionally, what was possible, the doubt, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think I'm, I relate with that and I'm pretty sure most people have tasted and probably had long meals at that <laughs> extended feast. There we go. <laughs> where they just ingested and gorged on whatever particular dysfunctional relationship with stress. So I really love that you found that and that you have the language and the poetry around that, mm. which gets me into another side of you. And I don't know if you're complete with your sharing around challenge day, but I wanted to shift into another piece if, if you were open. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So the thing I was thinking about is your incredible creativity, you know, your musicality, your, your rhyming, your, your, your movement, your art, your, your show, your, your language. And I just love that about you. And, and, and somehow when I see you in your creativity and you use this word earlier, there's, there's a timelessness to it. There is a freedom to it. And I see you express with a deeper thread to a deeper self that is ancestral. Yeah. Was that always there or was there another passage that you went through in order to own, own mm. that in yourself? You know, you started the show by owning like, this is, this is my tribe. This is, this is the symbol. This is the place. This is the story. Yeah. I feel like I'm still on my journey, obviously um, even in even deeper into my roots. Um, I love that you said that because what it has me do, it starts to analyze like, wow, why am, I feel like this is a lot of what you're speaking to was the reflection of me digging deeper into myself, especially into the, my native roots. These things were already in my DNA. These things were already embedded into me. My great grandmother, um, who was full-blooded Dodam of this nation, could not speak of her heritage. She had to pretend to be someone else in order for her to be safe because it wasn't safe for those people, unfortunately, um, at that time. And it was something I would only imagine that she instilled that into my grandmother who um, instilled that into my mother. So these are like the forgotten roots that I just continue to like, I, I, I get my baseline, but like there's something about when I look at my baseline, I'm like, there's more there. This is just what the, what what you're what you're showing me on the surface. So I I feel like I just continue to dig deeper into the roots of who I am and um, what my blood represents in my bloodline. Like these things, these things would have been told to me had they not been suppressed. Um, yeah, I'm just there's a lot of hurt that I feel mm -hmm. in that uh, in that void because uh, you know though it's only fourteen percent of my mate my. DNA makeup, it's of, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm doing as much studying as I can in that because I know there's more answers there. There's more gold there to dig into that. So, yeah, I feel like that's what, that's what you're getting 
is, um, and I feel like that's most of the great art that we are able to exhibit is stemming from the roots of that person and the origin of their roots. Something within that, right? It's like, whoa, it just feels timeless. Because <laughs> it is. Man, thanks for saying that. I, I can't help but see such a strong parallel between the the personal suppression and say a family or a community and the larger cultural suppression of what you're talking about with your this particular aspect of your tribal ancestry. You know, it just seems like the same thing. And I do feel like we're in a beautiful time where a lot of a lot more people are starting to listen to and acknowledge both the hurts and the forgotten and, and, and the violated actually as well, but also the remembering and giving permission to and celebrating the, um, well, in this case, the indigenous lineages of this land, you know, and the people and, and I'm hopeful about that. I am hopeful. Um, and I also acknowledge definitely the hurt, like, yeah, that's, that's, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just you know feel it's important to to honor that I am occupying the Ohlone Miwok territory at this moment. It's the roots of where where I'm at at this moment, and um, just keeps me connected to the people and the energy that's that's always here. So I always say that on my show on Freedom Flow. It's important to to say that here. And, you know, it, it also has me to want to look at a map as, as best as I can or as, as accurate as a map can be to see where, where, you know, where have I visited before? When I was traveling, I was feeling so many different, so much different energies. And I wish I had more knowledge into like the roots of those energies. So thank you for yeah. opening that space for me. Yeah, you bet, man. You bet. Thanks for, for stepping into it. I mean, I appreciate the emotional energy you have and that your great grandmother story. And I appreciate the, but the art in you, you know, and the art flow in you. And was that there from outset or was that something, or I hate to make it either or, and, or was that something that you had to step into? Great question. I feel like it's both. I feel like this is a, this was a uh, an energy and a power that was always within me that I had to. It's like you know the prize is there, but you have to go to the journey and get it. So it's both. I had to go. I had to earn it. I had to dig deep within myself and 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 I had to feel the pain of a lot of it to to gain clarity in it because it can hurt for so long when you get into the wound. And start to really address where the infected levels are and the infected parts, then you can start to heal that. So I was both wounded and I was both healed. It reminds me of a, a story, a moment in my life. At my wife, Alice, and I, we were, we, we were young. We weren't even engaged then. And it was 1998. We drove across the country and we stopped in Lakota territories and nation. And we went to Wounded Knee. And, um, it was, it was, it was, I don't even know what to say, except we were up there at the burial site, um, for the, the, the massacre where it happened and all the people were buried. And I remember seeing a young uh, native man, Lakota man. And I remember seeing the amount of anguish he had 
you know, as if this had almost in a way, what I would relate as if it just, this just happened, you know? And for my young, I think I was 24, 25, 26. I didn't yet have the social understanding, the historical understanding or the human understanding to see how it could be that he could still be feeling yesterday's trauma in a very immediate way. And as you're sitting here and you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, I've grown. Cause now I can, you know, now I can see why and how, and just how real those generational hurts are and how they do impact people, even if they're forgotten. Sometimes, especially because they're forgotten. It's a blessing. Oftentimes, that I, that I get to feel everything, and sometimes it feels like a curse. Yeah, that's that's uh, really the emphasis of what I've been speaking to. Is I feel everything. Every student in that room, I feel them, and I just use that as my way to connect to them, and that's how I go to go through the world. Because mm-hmm. that's the that's definitely a universal thing, especially in Amsterdam. I remember. In Challenge Day, we, um, there's a show called Over the Strip, and we were out there for about a week. We filmed two episodes, and my concern was, uh, how am I going to be able to, I don't understand Dutch, and, but they all kind of understand English. And it wasn't long for me to understand that, wow, these emotions are exactly the same. Like Even though they're speaking Dutch, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing the nuances and their voice kind of dropping. Oh, here comes, they're about to, to cry. Here comes my hand on their back. Perfect timing, just like they're speaking English. So universal. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it just affirms this and, you know, you're so appreciating and sensitive and not sure exactly what you might need right now, given the fact that we're touching these very strong emotional places and I want to be respectful. So if there's anything you need, just let me know. Oh, no, I just, just your acknowledgement, you know, what, what one might not be fully aware of is that this is everyday Randy. <laughs> right it's just with all the challenges and everything it, it's it gets heavy it gets light it gets and i'm just yeah. in it <laughs> incredibly available and courageous in your emotions and i love about i love that about you and i love that aspect when we get to mentor these boys together yeah. we're just coming off a great weekend together actually uh up at mount at lassen volcanic national park i always call it mount lassen but um, we just had a beautiful weekend of hanging out by shadow lake <laughs> <laughs> ironically <laughs> hanging out with the shadows and uh and the sunlight there was plenty of sunlight too so i kind of feel like we're in some way we're still together you know even though we're doing this show virtually but i feel like we're still together because we just spent a weekend together mm-hmm. and it was it was a great trip and i'm i guess what i'll say consciously i'm also just shifting the energy a little bit from mm-hmm. out of the acknowledgement of the historical traumas and the way they impact people but yeah. I also want to keep the energy flowing and, and don't, unless there's something else that's needed there. No, very good. 
Okay. Yeah. And, and so now you're in a mentoring program where the passages aren't a one day event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. And it's small. We were at five guys, five young guys in the group and there's three of us, you, you, you myself and our elder Mike. Right. So the ratio is completely different. The context is completely different. What would you say, given your just lovely social, emotional, heartfelt intelligence, what would you say you're learning about young people's passages in this different format? Yeah, it's what I feel like what's been interesting, especially for this group in particular, is the pandemic. I, I was anticipating a delay in like how things normally would be based on just kind of where our mindsets are with all this. And I feel like this group has landed um, with these boys in particular, you know, they're all on their own different kind of developmental clock and, and like where they're at, you know, it was beautiful. You know, the, the, was it yesterday? Was it there for yesterday when I, I suggested that we speak to uh, validating the boys individually. And I feel like that was in order, right? It's that they feel like seen in this way now. At the, especially at this age group, you know, it's it's so tricky. That's why they call it middle school, right? We're kind of in the midst, in the middle of so much of of their, you know, their childhood that they're releasing, developing out of, and the adulthood that they're growing into. And, um, you know, I think that's what makes Stepping Stones such a sacred place, is that, you know, to to hold a marking ceremony means that, it's now important. It always was important. However, now there's emphasis on something specific being important. And the fact that it's done ritualistically makes it a right. The fact that it's, it's uh, formed in such a way where ideally they're gonna succeed makes it a success and gives them the experience of going through something. And that's the passage. It's like, we're gonna create a path here, a start and a finish point, and, and you're gonna do your best. And ideally we're gonna find a way to win, a win for them. So yeah, I feel like it's so integral. I just really hear the earnestness in the parents when they just speak to the importance of our work. I don't think we've had a day long or a meeting or a day, I haven't gone a day with interacting with all these parents without at least one of them emphasizing the, the importance of our work. That's true. And I'm, uh, you brought in that image and it is a good image. And I want to include the listeners a little bit more. So we'd spent, you know, almost 48 hours together at this point, we were at this little lake, the easiest hike in the world, downhill a mile, <laughs> we didn't really ask them to do much. Everybody just played and enjoyed and talked and games and, and just complete camaraderie. But there we were, we had some conversations that were starting to take place, little hints, but there we were at the end, acknowledging that we're about to go back, that we were, you know, hundreds of miles away from home and we were turning the corner and we were doing some appreciations. And in that moment you had the, the insight to say, let's acknowledge these guys. Let's say directly from adults to these boys, there was only four of them there, what we see in them. And so they lined up and were by the lakeside and the trees and under the you know shadows of the mountain and the cliffs and the volcanic there. And it's a warm, beautiful morning, super warm. 
and and they all step forward one at a time and and each way they step forward speaking of that language you know the the language of the body and how they they there was so much character and emotion and the angle of their chin and where their eyes were and how they held their body and and looking at us and then responding to the blessings and the acknowledgement and the words the relief the the surprise and it, it was it was so great and it was a way we finally marked i think as a group that we were there to see them beyond the play with full hearts and full spirits and it was a really sweet moment so thank you for doing that and bringing it into the show yeah i think like you and uh mike were emphasizing um had had i not suggested it it would have gone forgotten it would have been but just you know not forgotten but it wouldn't have been emphasized or remembered. So. Yeah. And it was beautiful. We created, yeah. you created a beautiful memory there. So thank you for that. I have so much enjoyed having you on the show, <laughs> Randy Fortes. I just want to leave an opportunity for you to say anything you want to say to close out. I have so much enjoyed having you in my life. So much to the point where uh, I love, I love like kindred spirits I can vibrate with so much to the point that I'm going to gift you with something um, <laughs> that I'm going to create for you that, um, that sustains vibrations so we can better vibrate together. And um, just a little clue of what it is. It involves uh, circular things Ooh. and um, other, <laughs> other um, works of my hand <laughs> and uh, skins of nature um, for us to vibrate together. So I want to gift you with that because um I want to vibrate more with you. And we're and the fact that we're continuing this journey brings me much joy because who knows what other type of world that we might create uh, with just this continuance here. So thank you for this opportunity. And uh, thank you all the listeners for tuning in and for um, having faith in Jeffrey as I do. <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> I got a gift for you. <laughs> gift I for you. Uh, one of my, my first season, there's a, a wonderful uh, poet, author, community activist, basically a historian of deep overlooked culture, a man named Luis Rodriguez, mm -hmm. Luis J. Rodriguez. And he has a book that I'm reading right now called From, From Our Land to Our Land. And I'm going to send it to you. And I think you will love it because Luis is amazing. He's amazing in that show. And I think you will find his words as I am a revelation and a blessing just to hear his connections to his deep roots. So mm. Randy, you are a, a gem. You're a great man. Keep up, keep up doing this beautiful work and all the ways you do it of supporting young people, supporting yourself, supporting the arts, supporting the connection to the ancient tradition. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Blessings. Thank you so much for joining us today. All music is performed by the incredible and effervescent Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. Please support this podcast by following us on your favorite streaming platform, sharing it with your community and friends, and by making a modest donation to our Patreon page. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people make peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us. 